You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Assembly Call Radio is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word about tickets and about our sponsor, SeatGeek. You know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated, something that you've probably experienced. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. And that is why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There is nothing quite like being there in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So whether you want to support the football Hoosiers for one of their remaining home dates or you want to plan ahead and get tickets to basketball games for this season, SeatGeek is the way to go. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone personally. It is by far the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets. Um, And that's what I use when I want sports tickets, when I want concert tickets. And the reason why I use SeatGeek is, again, kind of what I mentioned about how they just make the experience easier than it is anywhere else. You know, SeatGeek will search multiple ticket sites. They grade every ticket based on a value, which is really nice. And that helps you really quickly identify the best seats that fit your budget. And every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence, which is really nice because sometimes you're on those other ticket sites, you don't feel quite as confident. And best of all, Assembly Call listeners get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So all you do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And now, here's this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 99th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 432nd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, October 25th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. This week's banner moment occurred on Tuesday night when IU tweeted out a picture showing a new Hoosier wearing the gold practice jersey, Romeo Langford. A couple weeks ago, I reserved this space to laud Juwan Morgan for being the first Hoosier to wear the gold practice jersey this season after what his coach described as, quote, dominating play in practice. It's exactly what you want, your senior leader setting the tone to start the season. So why is it a big deal that Indiana's talented freshman, who we all expected to win the gold jersey at some point, was the first one who took it away from Juwan? 
Well, because it's exactly what Romeo said he was going to do. As Juwan informed us all at Big Ten Media Day, Romeo was not happy about falling behind Juwan in the gold jersey standings the first time around and vowed to take it from him in the future. Since it's fairly safe to assume that the senior captain Morgan didn't just start coasting in practice, it's also fair to assume that Romeo had to elevate his play to rise up and earn the jersey. And that, to me, says a lot about Romeo's competitiveness and maturity, even at this early stage in his freshman season. And when you combine that with his athletic gifts and basketball talent, you have the recipe for a freshman who appears ready to be a star from day one. You also have the makings of a year-long battle for that gold jersey that will compel Indiana's two best players to bring their A games every day in practice. That will only serve to make each better and raise the ceiling for how high one of college basketball's best duos can carry this deep, talented group of Hoosiers. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show to my left. He is the Jeff Brom of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and one of the nation's most accomplished bracketologists. Andy Bottoms, the nation's most accomplished bracketologist. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the last week in IU basketball? Well, I would say a couple things. I mean, one, uh, it's Romeo's birthday. So, I mean, what better gift could he get than to be the, uh, we wearing the gold jersey and be the recipient of the banner moment. So that obviously a huge honor. Uh, a dream come him. true for him, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> his birthday, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Among his many accomplishments, I'm sure this will rank among them. Um, so, <laughs> so that's exciting. Uh, I was surprised to hear episode 99 of the show. So on episode 100, will essentially serve as the post-game show for the the uh, exhibition game uh, next week in the season that we have anticipated as much as, as just about any other, I think that we've done the show. So that'll be a cool uh, milestone to hit for the the radio version uh, of the show. And, and quite honestly, I was going to uh, go the same place you did with the, uh, you know, with the banner moment, the shot of Romeo wearing the Jersey shooting uh, into the end where all the banners hung and, and, and IU putting that out was, was pretty cool. And I think, um, you know, for all the excitement that there's been about him, uh, for what he can do on the floor, I, I think a pretty, pretty amazing honor because, you know, as Archie's talked about all the things that go into earning the gold jersey, uh, it, it's, you know, Romeo certainly comes in known for his scoring, but there's a lot more that goes into it to earn that gold jersey, at least based on everything that, that we on the outside know about the things that they look at um, that go into it. And, and like you said, I think that's a, a pretty amazing sign that he has put his mind to something that quickly. Uh, and been able to accomplish it, and uh, yeah, I, I'm sure the uh, this was one of one of many battles in the war that will go back and forth between those two over the course of the season. But uh, uh, certainly, certainly a cool thing for him, and I think a, a great sign for the program. And uh, it, you know, again, we find ourselves trying to read a whole lot into something that uh, is not actual, you know, on the court game basketball. But this is the last time we'll need to do that. We'll actually have games to talk about in a week. That's right. And Andy, we will not have our usual co-host with us tonight as Ryan is taking the evening off. Whatever will we do in his absence? Almost impossible to replace no matter who you get. Is that so? Well, we asked our usual fill-in co-host, Coach Tonsoni, to join us, but he has bravely made the trek north to Minneapolis to watch the football Hoosiers try to salvage their season against the Gophers this weekend. Bring it on. Godspeed, Coach. So with Ryan and Coach both out... We decided to throw caution to the wind and reach for the stars. This is an IU basketball podcast by the fans and for the fans, after all. So who better 
to fill in with the season right around the corner than one of the most loyal and enthusiastic supporters of IU athletics out there. Dan Dockich. No, definitely not. Our special <laughs> guest tonight is the man behind the most followed and beloved IU fan Twitter account. He's a co-host for the Indie Stars podcast, Mind Your Banners, and he puts on one hell of a Hoosier hysteria tailgate, to which I can now personally attest. He is Chronic Hoosier. Can a brother get some coupons? Chronic, welcome back to the Assembly Call. How excited are you for actual basketball to be played in Simon Scott Assembly Hall a week from tonight? I don't even think I've got the words to express it. Uh, I, I am. I'm always really excited this time of year. Um, it's it's just great to know that you're going to be in the hall, you know, in single digit days. Uh, but when you take the, the particulars about this team, uh, especially um, Juwan senior year, Romeo's arrival on campus, and as we were talking about before the show, um, there's a whole boatload of guys who I'm really excited to watch kind of grow and develop, uh, as well as continue their Hoosier careers. Um, I, I cannot wait. I absolutely cannot wait for it to start. And I'm thrilled to be here for the 99th show. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome to have you. We always enjoy your appearances. So here's what we're going to talk about this week. Real games are coming. As we said, that means it's time to make some hard choices regarding the rotation. We'll give you some of our thoughts on that. Last year, Indiana's strength was clearly its defense. What about this year? Will the offense or defense lead the way? We'll discuss. And then we will discuss the latest on the college basketball fraud trial what the verdict means, and our thoughts on seeing Indiana's name pop up in that sidebar conversation, and then we will answer your questions. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Real quick, before we get to that, before we get to this week's top story, I want to remind you about the best way to shop online for great deals on IU basketball and football tickets. Just remember this URL, iutickets.shop. It will take you right to SeatGeek, where you can immediately find the best deals on IU basketball tickets, other sports tickets, concert tickets, and more. Get a brother, get some coupons. Yes, Chronic, thank you for asking. As a matter of fact, you can get a coupon. Just use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $20 off your first purchase. And when you use that URL, iutickets.shop, we actually get paid a commission for referring you. So it's a great way to support the show. That's the coolest thing ever. We agree. So again, when you need to buy tickets, the best and easiest way to do so is with the URL iutickets.shop. And remember the promo coupon assembly for $20 off your first purchase. Again, iutickets.shop. Thank you. All right. Um, yeah, Chronic, see, I, I didn't warn you, Chronic. That's one thing that's changed since your last appearance as we now mine your old appearances for drops that we can... Uh, play at opportune times when they uh I, when they fit the content <laughs> I, you know we're we're still preseason at this point we're not even in the exhibition season yet and your your uh your soundbite game is already at championship level i'm floored <laughs> i'm over here dying <laughs> okay so let's andy you know oh before we get to that i i want to give a shout out actually to one of our longtime listeners adam layman he sent me a message earlier today said his wife he and his wife just had their first baby on tuesday already wearing hoosier onesies so congratulations adam we uh, all of us here can relate with the excitement uh, that you must be feeling. So we wish you guys the absolute best. Very, very happy for you. Um, Andy, you sent an email earlier today when we were kind of going back and forth about topics that I thought uh, was pretty interesting. You said, if we assume the early rotation contains Morgan, Romeo, McRoberts, Justin Smith, Devontae Green, Evan Fitzner, Race Thompson, and Robert Finnessy, that's eight. Maybe we can each pick a guy outside of those eight and convince the others why, how they crack the rotation. And my first thought when I read your list is, where's Alan Jerome? Because they both seem like guys that are going to be in there. And right there, you're already at 10. And that's with a lot yes, of other my guys. Initial, still, my initial draft of the email had them in there as well. And then I was like, well, that doesn't really make sense. I think I, I don't remember if it was podcast on the brink that you guys had a question similar to this, where I think there was like nine or you guys said nine. And I, yeah. I couldn't remember who the ninth was that you had. So I, I assume it was one of those guys or did you have both of them in there? I mean, it's hard to not have both of them, but I think... 
certainly you have to expect Al to be there because he has the experience and just because he's you know one of the four ball handlers that's on the roster. So he's a guy that I would expect to be in the rotation early. Um, and Jerome is so talented, you would expect him to grow into it as the season goes. But you know, it, it, it is, you know, you see that question and it really kind of puts into perspective just how deep this roster is. So let's get your thoughts on it. Let's get Chronic's thoughts on it. I mean, you take those eight and I guess to me, I would add Al there because I think he's clearly going to be in the rotation. But I think I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I had both of them. And then I was like, well, I can't put I can't put 10. So I figured we could just debate who we thought if there was a ninth, who we thought it would be. All right. So then maybe let's kick it to Chronic first. Chronic, do you agree with that with those nine? And then who do you think the next guy would be? This has been something I've struggled with since, uh, uh, honestly, in, in earnest, since since Fitner or Fitzner's um, announcement that he was coming. Uh, it's going to be really, really tough to figure out who's going to get left behind in the rotation this year, uh, at least at this point. Uh, that that may well clarify a um, couple weeks into the season. Uh, it. That's the thing about this roster, though, is I think it's got the dynamics that it can give Archie so many different looks. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. And I was thinking about this today because I knew you guys always bring great discussion um, and, and, and kind of anticipating where we may go with this. Um, I, I could very well see Archie really putting the gas on when it comes to the defense and guys who aren't just absolutely flying everywhere. Guys who he's just going to have so much flexibility in how he you know, how he chooses to line them up. Um, and I, I was thinking as, as we were likely coming to this topic, I, I don't, I honestly don't know. Um, perhaps Jake Forrester, uh, there's always the issue with, um, with Duran's injury. Like that could self-resolve. It could be something that lingers for a while. It could be something where perhaps he's, he's a go early on, but just not quite back yet. And Archie takes more time to ease him in. Um, but then you also wonder, when that situation, when the situation with uh, Duran arose last year, I don't think anybody really saw Justin Smith making the leap that he did over the course of the season. And with the amount of talent that's on this roster and the depth of it, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised as well if one of those guys who you think maybe going to be in the back end of the rotation line ends up progressing at a rate that nobody saw coming uh, and bring something to the lineup that Archie just can't keep on the bench any longer. So I, I don't know. Yeah, and I tell you, it makes the opportunities that guys get early in the season in games like against Chicago State and Montana State so important, you know, because for some of those guys that are toward the end of the bench, they've really got to show. I mean, obviously, it's going to be based on practice, but, you know, in games, they're going to have to show that they're ready for the bright lights to kind of stick in there as the rotation starts to shorten. But, I mean, Andy, what do you think as you look at it? I mean, Jerome seems like the next obvious guy, but you never quite know what to expect from a freshman. And yet, he's probably one of the three or four most talented players on the roster. Yeah, I mean, he's the one that uh, that kind of seems the most obvious um, just because I think when you look from a talent perspective, but but that being said, you know, is it that clear that, um, you know, they really, I don't want to say need another offensive option, um, but I think that's, you know, kind of the interesting piece about that. I actually, I, I don't know if this is, this is probably an answer that I would have felt least likely to say a little while ago, but it, it does feel like there's some, good vibes around Clifton Moore. Um, I think Juwan had a couple things to say about him at Big Ten Media Day, I feel like, where, you know, we, we kind of talk about Race Thompson as essentially like, you know, his redshirt year, how important that is to him. I think what we may look back and see is that what happened with Clifton Moore is is kind of the same thing. I thought he showed a few things uh, in the scrimmage at Hoosier Hysteria just from an activity level standpoint. So I'm a little bit intrigued by him to see if he could um, work his way into there. I think he or Forrester probably become you know, maybe an energy guy to give him five minutes off the bench and, and you know, 
maybe eight minutes on a given night. So he's a guy that I'm at least kind of intrigued by right now, whether he can really make that kind of jump uh, and do it. I don't know, but he's had a year in the system to uh, both learn what Archie wants to do and, you know, really put some weight on, which was an issue for him coming in. Um, but from a skill standpoint, he's got an interesting skill set compared to some of the other guys um, that are in the mix there, it feels like. Let's hit this really quickly, but I've gotten this question more than I anticipated, but it's basically people asking if Indiana should go to a platoon system, kind of like what Kentucky did. Oh, and my, God, my no, response, no, I know, all no. I, wanted, I, I just want to address it. My response to that is, I mean, I don't like that, number one, but also number two, it, it's not a roster stocked with five stars. Like You can't just roll out your second five and treat that like it's a starting lineup. I mean, Indiana has depth, but they've got to be, they all have to work around Romeo and Juwan, and hopefully Justin kind of puts himself in that same category, you know, so it's, it's not where you're just going to like, it's two fives of, of equal or almost equal talent level. So I just want to, I mean, chronic, I'm assuming you agree with that. I just want to put that to bed because I've gotten that question more than I ever would have anticipated. Honestly, and, and so much of it, one, I think it's just a terrible strategy as a whole. Two, there's a connotation of Calipari's whole branding strategy that, you know, we're so great. We're just going to platoon out to, you know, two five-man NBA rosters at a time. Um, no, I think it's terrible. I think it, it, it no, but um, I'm not saying that Archie doesn't have, you're, I think you're right. It's not the talent level that you're going to be able to see that. Um, I, I do think, however, you may see situations where it, it's, there's going to be a lot of combinations at play. Uh, and maybe you'll see combos that he likes um, in, in unison or in combination together that, you know, Maybe that's, you know, it's kind of like a hockey when, when they do line changes. Yeah. Sometimes there's key pieces to each line that you want to get out there no matter where the line rotation falls. I, perhaps that's something you see where maybe he's platooning, you know, whether it be the backcourt, whether it be, you know, I, who, who knows? That would be about as close as I would imagine Archie would ever come to that type of substitution pattern, though. I don't think I've ever seen the chat mob just absolutely trash a question as much as they just trash that question. <laughs> okay, no platoon. Point, I think, point I think very well taken. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I mean, I agree. I think the good thing about it is, I mean, the fact that the talent level is at a place where that is a even a remotely rational discussion point is, I mean, if anybody had brought that up last year, you would have thought they were insane. So, I mean... It's good. Yeah. So it's I, I will choose to look at it in a positive way that that is even a discussion that yes. that someone could reasonably ask. But I would agree. I, I just don't see that happening. I don't think you're going to see a time when one of Romeo or Juwan is not on the floor, uh, barring a, a blowout. Yep. OK, coming up on the assembly call last year, Indiana was forced to hang its hat on defense because the offense just wasn't very good with both figuring to be much better this year. Will either stick out as a bigger strength for Indiana as we go through the season? We will discuss. Stick with us here on the assembly call. You are listening to The Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcasts, chat mobbers, or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel. You will be privy to all of the Between Segment banner that doesn't make it into the radio show or podcast edit. It gets all sorts of wacky. It really does. Come get wacky with us on YouTube, youtube.com slash assemblycall. I am Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and our special guest co-host, Chronic Hoosier. And guys, for this segment, let's talk kind of offense versus defense. You know, last year, Indiana was a team that, you know, was certainly challenged offensively, uh, you know, 
quite inconsistent on that end. The defense didn't start out very good either, but as the season went along, that clearly became the strength of the team. And it's what we know Archie Miller wants to hang his hat on. But my question is, as we look at this season, you know, with the prodigious offensive talents that Romeo Langford brings to the table and, and what we know Juwan can do, and now with Evan Fitzner to kind of improve the shooting and just more overall offensive talent than we had last year. And, and this question actually came to us from Scott inside of our community. He basically wanted to know, what do you expect to be more efficient, the offense or the defense? And according to the Ken Palm numbers, the offense is 27th in the preseason projections. The defense is 33rd. So, Karnak, I'll go to you first. What do you expect to kind of be, you know, what drives this team or its biggest strength? Or do you see a big enough difference between the two to, you know, make it worthwhile to point out even? You know, I, I think it's I, I'm naturally inclined to lean towards the defensive side uh, simply because that's that's kind of Archie's M.O. Um, that's what he really has, has emphasized. He wants this team to be as a defensive first team. Um, I, I think offensively, it holds the potential to be pretty special. Um, I'm. I don't think you can overstate the addition of Romeo Langford and just what that could bring to the offense for this team. But also looking at guys like Evan Fitzner, the ability to stretch the floor out uh, to get that corner shooter back again, um, to bring Juwan some help down low, whether it be you know through Justin Smith's developed game. Uh, I think the addition of Race Thompson is going to be amazing on both ends of the floor for this team. Uh, I think he brings a lot of toughness. Uh, but I was pretty impressed with uh, with some of the offensive moves he was able to show in hysteria. And then you bring in the freshman. I mean, there's so many things at play here. I think offensively, the one thing that, that that I'm really looking looking at at the start of the season is just exactly how does the ball move around it? How do they distribute the scoring? Um, you know, what kind of chemistry can these guys achieve? And then, you know, on a whole other level along those lines, in what various combinations does that kind of morph and change a little bit? Um, so I, I think the defense is probably going to be a little bit more known element going into the season. Uh, at least as we're prognosticating at the start of the season. Um, but I think the offense could be pretty special as well. And more than anything, I think on both ends of the floor with the depth that he has and the talent across that bench, uh, I, I would greatly expect to see tempo increase, uh, and I would greatly expect to see the intensity on the defensive end uh, be heightened uh, at least a couple of notches from where we've seen it before, just because he's going to have the ability to keep fresh legs out there. Andy, what do you think? Well, I look back at what Archie's done over the course of his career and his first three years at Dayton, the offense was better than the defense by a pretty wide margin. Now, I don't know those teams weren't, you know, one of those is the one that got to the elite eight. Um, but some of those, I don't know how much that was, you know, kind of carry over personnel and things like that. But then the last four years, so his, uh, you know, his last three years at Dayton plus last year, the defense was better. So I guess I'll, I'll go with that trend. If you look at the numbers defensively last year, where IU. Uh, where IU struggled, at least was ranked the lowest, was on the uh, you know preventing offensive rebounds. I think the additional size athleticism this year helps that. Uh, certainly don't need to remind everyone that the three-point defense was was not good. And while there's varying arguments about there about how much the defense can really impact that, I would like to think that would be better. Um, so I think the, the you know the defensive numbers have a have a chance to take a decent jump uh, with those, and and certainly we would expect the offensive numbers to jump as well. Uh, you know, for some of the same reasons, the three-point shooting almost has to be better. You know, turnovers in in the second year, assuming somebody grabs hold of the point guard role, get a little bit better. But you know, if you look at last year, that you know the the defense has a twenty-seven spot head start. Uh, I think the gap certainly closes, but I would I would say the defense ends up you know carrying the day again uh, for Archie and um, and I think some of that could be you know there's not quite the talent level in the Big Ten. So if IU plays defense, you know 
this year. I know there's adjustments in the in the Ken Palm numbers, but I do think from a talent perspective in the Big Ten, um, a lot of teams jumbled in the middle, not quite the high end uh, kinds of groups that were there last year. Yeah, you know, I think I agree with you, Andy. I, I I just feel like I have a little bit more confidence in the defense, just seeing the growth last year. And and look, we're all very excited about what Romeo can bring to the table offensively, but. I think the offense has the potential to be really good. Like I think this team has the potential to have a top 15 offense if the point guard play is good on a consistent basis, if the three-point shooting improves. But I guess, you know, Chronic, that's kind of where my question marks come with the offense is, you know, how is the point guard play going to be? We all expect Evan Fitzner to be a 40-plus percent three-point shooter, but do we see the improvement from some of the other guys, you know, that lifts that three-point shooting up enough to give us, you know, to give you the kind of efficiency that that can start getting you into the, you know, to the top twenty, the top fifteen, um, because that's, I think it'll be better, but I don't know quite how much it'll jump up with with the personnel Indiana has this year. I, I would also like to add, as much as I'm looking for an improvement in three point percentage, probably the most uh, the most obvious room for improvement on this team that that could have a significant impact on the offensive numbers is their free throw percentage. Mm, yeah, uh, it, you know, if these guys can just convert. Seven percent more of their shots than what they hit last year at, uh, I believe, what was that, sixty-five, almost sixty-six percent. I mean, you start sniffing the seventies, even the the low seventies, and <laughs> you're adding a whole lot more points into the offense. Yeah, and there's every reason to believe that that will be the case. You know, with with the free throw shooting, you know, you had Freddie McSwain taking seventy free throws last year. Deron Davis took a bunch. Who knows how many he'll shoot this year, but he should be better because he was a much better free throw shooter um, as a freshman. Uh, Andy, you know, we have about 30 seconds left this segment. I mean, defensively, uh, you know, you feel confident with the defense. What's your biggest question mark about the defense entering the season? Uh, You know, I think it's still being able to, you know, contain dribble penetration. Um, I I think what what you and Ben Ladner talked about on the the Monday show with some of the pick and roll coverages is will be interesting to see how they do that because that was really a problem. And that's such a big part of of defense these days is is trying to defend ball screens effectively. Do you do you expect Indiana to kind of change up how they're doing that some? I, I doubt it. Um you know, you might see a few wrinkles here and there, but I think, you know, a lot of times coaches at this point have a pretty, a pretty good stance on how they want to handle those situations. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, and, and look, I think the one thing that we can all agree on is both the offense and defense should be better. And the ideal is for this team to be balanced on both ends of the floor. And hopefully that is what we see. All right. Coming up, those of you listening on the radio Friday night, you may be switching over to high school football, so be sure to catch the replay on assemblycall.com. For everyone else, we're going to discuss the College Hoops fraud trial and Indiana's name popping up in it next. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and our special guest co-host, Chronic Hoosier. Remember that if you are a serious IU Hoops fan, then you need to be subscribed to our free IU basketball email newsletter. There's a high-level operation going on out there. You will get our six-banner Sunday news roundups as well as our detailed post-game analysis emails once the season begins. This content is why more than 6,000 of your fellow IU fans are already subscribed to our list, and joining them is easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Make no excuses. Can we get some basketball, please? Okay, back to talking basketball. Well, kind of talking basketball because we've got this corruption trial that has been going on that's gotten a lot of attention. 
the verdict is in. And so we want to talk about this on kind of two fronts. We want to talk about the actual trial, the verdict, kind of what it means, the bigger picture, and then also talk about Indiana's very, very small involvement in it, but kind of what that means and what we think about that. So let's start, Andy, by, you know, the trial is in, and you and I both listen to Rob Doster's podcast. And I think for anybody who might be having trouble figuring out how you know, these three guys, Jim Gatto, Merle Code, and, uh, and Christian Dawkins, how they were actually found guilty of something that, you know, seems like it's just normal everyday business in college basketball and that is an NCAA violation, I would recommend this podcast, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Essentially, it boils down to you have to view the school differently from the team because it's really easy to look at it and say, wait a minute, how is, you know, how did Kansas, how are they defrauded out of this when they're trying to help them get players? But it's more from a school perspective and it deals with like how scholarships are paid out. And it's, it's a little bit complicated. I don't want to explain it all here, but I would recommend that podcast. But that really kind of illuminated for me how they came to the verdict that they came to. And it made it, Andy, I mean, you listened to that. Did it at least make it make a little bit more sense why the verdict came in, how it did? Because when I first heard it, I was kind of flabbergasted. Yeah, and I think um, Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish talked about this as well. Norlander was at a lot of the uh, the trial. And and so the attorney that Rob had on, um, Jason Belser, uh, not to be confused with the former Colts safety, um, was on and, and basically walked through the, the general premises that the school is using state funding to hand out scholarships and grants and things like that. And they would not have done that had they known the athletes uh, amateur status was compromised by, by accepting this money. I think that's kind of how I, I boiled it down um, as I listened to both of those and basically saying they were duped uh, into, into believing that the athletes were eligible, would be eligible and wouldn't have any, any kinds of problems. Um, now that implies that they wanted to know and the coaches wanted to, you know, weren't, weren't willfully a part of it, but um, that's the gist of it is that, you know, state funding uh, and, and government funding essentially for those things was being routed to people who should not have been eligible for it. I guess that's kind of how I boiled it down. I don't know if you, you kind of walked away with a similar thing, but I guess that's yeah, basically. to me what the, the gist of it was. And then, you know, now there are two more trials coming up and I guess the big thing to look for now is, do those trials actually happen? Do guys, you know, take plea deals? Um, and it sounds like if those trials, like what college basketball coaches probably want to happen is for those trials not to happen because then not so much stuff kind of gets out, gets into the public record. So that's kind of the next thing to watch in all of this. Chronic, as you watched all of this happen, as you saw the verdict and have seen the coverage of it, what did you think about it? And kind of what do you think this means in the bigger picture? I, I think the trial as a whole, I mean, this whole thing where the FBI is now getting into the, the CD underbelly of college basketball recruiting is, I, again, I'm trying to figure out what the end game is here because obviously, uh, organizationally, the NCAA hasn't shown any real interest in reforming what's really going on here. I mean, you have a, uh, you have a commodity that has an extremely high value in, in the athletic talent uh, due to the NCAA's definition of amateurism uh, and the fact that the schools make literally billions of dollars off of their backs and don't have to pay this talent. Um, they very much are protecting of it. But at the end of the day, it's, it, it, this trial does nothing. Uh, it's it's going to ruin some careers. Um, it's going to open some people's eyes to what goes on literally at, at, at an unbelievable amount of schools across the country. Um, and and what, I think what's funny, at least personally to me, is you look at some of the coaches reacting and you know some of the quotes like, they paid that guy how much? Like, did they even see this guy? But that's, 
but that's that's what happens though when you have a billion dollar industry and your and your labor is free. I mean, um, just because the NC2A says they're amateurs doesn't mean that the marketable value is now non-existent. You can't create a prohibition on something that has a a value to it, an inherent value to it, especially something that's as high as a value as this is. Um, you know, on the micro level here, um, yeah, I, I think Dowster was was spot on, at least in his article. I haven't had a chance to catch the podcast today. Um, it's it's kind of sad at the same token too, because you they have no problem extracting swift justice on the kids involved in this uh, and some of the peripheral players. But when you look at the coaches, when you look at the teams, and I don't care what the you know how you have to parse this to understand how the schools were the ones that were defrauded, they're also the beneficiaries of this illicit activity. You could say they're co-conspirators in it, in as much as um, it's their very employees who have been directly implicated and been proven in court. There's evidence showing that that the schools know, or at least the teams, the coaches know exactly how this thing works. Um, they continue to repurchase from it. So you look at DeSalza, he's immediately ineligible, or at least Kansas is withholding him because they know exactly how that, that's going to play out. And yet Kansas just gets truck along, uh, starts the season with a number one ranking, continue to put together, you know, top ranked classes. And, you know, Bill Self will be, you know, perhaps hanging a banner before they even get to the point where the committee is going to consider investigating his involvement in it. And I, I think it's just, it's ridiculous the way in which this thing's playing out without ever addressing what's, what's causing all of it and what's causing it's because the NCAA doesn't want to play its athletes. Yeah. I mean, I guess that was kind of the hope that some people had is that, you know, from this trial and from everything that's happened, you know, shine a light on what's going on and that you would see some real change and that some of that, you know, would change for the better. And I don't know if we're going to see that, you know, do you think we will see a more emboldened NCAA now that, you know, because of the information that they can get from the FBI and because, you know, people are certainly going to be a little bit more scared now that people are going to jail for stuff like this. I mean, do we think that they'll start to go after some of the, you know, some of the bigger schools or is there just too much money at stake and, you know, just not something that they're going to want to do? I think when you look at the history of the NC2A, uh, especially as of late, the way in which they've handled some of these major scandals, um, it, it probably amounts to a little more than a slap on the wrist at the end of the day. Um, I think they realized after after the Reggie Bush episode, uh, when I say they, I mean the schools. And when I say the schools, you also have to understand the schools are the NC2A. It's a member institution. Uh, that organization is only going to do what its members tell it to do uh, and what they decide is in everybody's best interest. And especially when you start talking about blue blood programs uh, like Kansas um, and, you know, maybe not blue blood, but certainly blue chip like Arizona, for example, um, I, I don't foresee them doing anything that, that gets in the way of the cash cow uh, or that, you know, stops the production of their golden goose right now. Uh, and from what we've seen on, on Condoleezza Rice's commission, uh, the way in which you're trying to restructure the summer circuit and all of that. Uh, it's really lipstick on a pig. I mean, it does nothing to address the fact that when you have a, a prohibition on on players extracting any value for the services or even their name, image, and likeness, um, that doesn't just make the demand for those things go away. Uh, especially when you see, you know, until NBA salaries stop escalating, until people stop paying uh, ridiculous fees for you know the the entertainment of watching these kids play, I, I think you're only going to see it you know, not only continue, but you're probably see it morph into ways that make it harder to detect. 
You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and our special guest co-host, Karnak Hoosier. So, you know, Andy, the other part of this that, you know, IU fans have been looking at and, and people have asked me about is, you know, Indiana's name popping up. And I think way back in, I think, opening statements, they provided a list of names that could pop up. And I think Romeo Langford was on that list, but his name never actually popped up in the trial. But, you know, the thing that happened recently, I think it, it came out on Monday, it was the 20th, but and it seemed like IU fans didn't really catch wind of it until about three or four days later. In an article at the Kansas City Star, there was a quote, and this was from a sidebar, so it wasn't actually read to the gallery, it wasn't read to the jury, uh, but it was just a little a sidebar conversation where the uh, the defense attorney, Schachter, was reading a text um, from this guy, John Lasko, and he basically said, hey, I'm in Indiana, and Coach Ostrom asked me for an update. They're super willing to do what it takes to recruit Silvio Sousa. Is that something of interest for us? So it wasn't actually a quote from Tom Ostrom. It was someone you know saying that Tom Ostrom said something else. And this has kind of gotten people concerned. You know, what does this mean? Super willing is, you know, is Indiana just as dirty as everybody else? Like it's, you know, you can take that and your mind can run wild with it. You can also look at it the other way and be like, you know, middlemen or middlemen and a lot of times you know in this people of you know people who kind of know how this stuff works have talked about how guys will try and play people off of each other and say whatever so you don't what i'm trying to say here is you don't really know much from this but as you kind of looked at this you know what did you take from this like what does this kind of make you feel as an iu fan do you have any strong opinions on it one way or the other yeah i mean i think this this in and of itself didn't really it didn't really make me feel much of anything, I guess, we, you know, as you think about this, it, I think there's a lot of ways you could, you could look at it and you could talk yourself into or out of saying this is symptomatic of, of nothing or it's symptomatic of a larger issue. And I think, um, but, but I think based on what was there, the fact that IU was never really linked to D'Souza in any tangible way that I recall, at least, um, seems to make it a little bit easier to brush off. Now, the flip side of that is it, it's a little bit like, you know, the argument for, you know, Ryan's boy, Coach K and, and Zion Williamson and all that stuff. You know, you've got stuff in the trial that comes up that says, you know, the the dad or the stepfather has his hand out for money from Kansas and other places. But then all of a sudden he just goes to Duke and then you're supposed to assume that there's nothing going on um, by a Easily. similar token. <laughs> by a similar token, you've got IU, who's a big name Adidas school, and they're out there doing a whole bunch of stuff for other people. It also feels like a little bit of a leap to say there's not been any contact. There hasn't been any of that stuff that that somehow involved IU. I think that's probably naive to assume as well that any big time program didn't at least have discussions with these, you know, middlemen as, as you described it. Um, so, you know, and you can kind of couch that however you want and say that really bothers me. I don't want my program to to behave this way or, you know what, I don't care. Everybody else is doing it you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And we're just going to, you know, go on down the road and, and do that. And I, I don't really know how I feel about that part of it, quite honestly. Um, it, because the reality is if, if the program was as clean as could be, which m many people would kind of, you know, it was one of the things that people bring up about Korean, there were no issues and yeah, there are other things going on, but people weren't happy with the level of winning at that point. So it's a little bit hard to say, I want to run the cleanest program out there and do this and, and results be damned. I'm okay with it when I'm not totally sure that, that that's true for a lot of people. And I think it's uh, all of this to me has been hopefully eye opening for people who don't follow it terribly closely about, you know, how the sausage gets made and you've got to kind of make your peace with 
um, you know, how much, how involved you want your program of choice to be involved in it. So I, I guess to me, this issue in and of itself, not a whole lot. I think in the larger conversation, I, I'm not shocked to see IU or any big time school get somehow named in it. Chronic, what do you think? <sighs> Looking at the, uh, the particular quote, that question from the trial, um, I, I think what stands out to me is, is on its face, the very statement, uh, or at least the very piece of evidence that they were discussing at the time um, was hearsay. I mean, by definition, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's Lasco describing Ostrom's words uh, to a third party. Um, it, it's one of those things as well. And, and for those that aren't real super familiar with the way the law works, especially trial law, um, you know, it's an evidentiary matter that's before the judge, not in the presence of the jury. He's trying to get something in. It wasn't admitted to the trial. Uh, I, I didn't see from the Kansas City Star article uh, or anywhere else, I guess, what on what grounds the judge denied it. He may not have said anything, just said it was simply denied. But when you look at the, uh, the reasons in which it could have been, um, there's a reason that it, it wasn't, at least for purposes of how it was trying to be introduced to the trial, whether it was... Um, you know, whether it was hearsay, whether it was lack of probative value relevance, uh, who knows? That being said, though, it's I, I, I was kind of alarmed to see not that that came out in the trial, because I, I think, like Andy said, I'm, I'm not surprised when any name comes out uh, in a trial such as this. Uh, if there's a power five school that, that at any point has recruited top 50 kids, uh, what surprises me is just how broadly it got blow, uh, overblown, uh, at least in the local media community. Um, and not by all. I mean, obviously it became national news and people had to talk about it. All that being said though, you know, I, the thing that struck me most since I read that is I keep going back to, uh, March 7th, 2015. Um, and if anybody, if that date rings a bell with anyone, um, final game of the regular season, uh, in 2015, Michigan state was coming in town. Um, there was some scuttlebutt the night before on Friday that perhaps, uh, that would be cream last game uh or that you know perhaps he had made the decision that he was going to go look for greener pastures um i'd even heard so much as that perhaps the team had even been told that uh and i was getting a lot of con or you know multiple sources were confirming kind of the same gist and then we wake up the next morning and and we find out that lo and behold there's thon maker mature maker and thomas bryant sitting behind the indiana bench that and is how you're a champion yeah that's exactly how your champion is. You get the top talent there when you need him the most uh, in the position that you most desperately need. Um, I, you got Thomas Bryant eventually. Uh, most folks know the story with the Maker family, but it's it's always kind of struck me as odd how all that came together. And, and you know, that's one of those where you get a glimpse perhaps at how the sausage is made. I don't know. Uh, we had an Adidas contract coming up about that time too. Um, so, you know, with what we now know, or what's at least been proven in the in the trial, what's come to light. Uh, you know, unlike Coach K, I don't think it's just a blip. <laughs> I, I don't think this is an isolated incident uh, with just a couple of bad actors that have, you know, spoiled the whole cart for everybody else. But I, I think this is probably how, how you see a lot of kids getting placed in college, to be honest with you. Well, I, and I think, I mean, even this discussion shows there there's enough there that I think enough is known now. You can draw whatever lines you want to draw and and make a compelling case to you know to say anybody could be implicated in this in some way and you could also there's but there's enough ambiguity that you could say well you don't know this you you can't prove any of it and that's all by design in the way that this stuff has gone down so it it just is 
whatever viewpoint you have, if you want to believe that a coach is clean and has no idea, like people want to believe about Krzyzewski has no idea, you know, all of a sudden all these guys, you know, are there, they certainly have built a strong program, but you know, there's, again, you got guys who everybody knows are asking, or, who sounds like they're asking everybody else for money. And then all of a sudden they don't need that from you. And you act like you don't know that even any of this goes on. That That's pretty hard to believe. Um, but equally hard to believe that literally every single, you know, power five program is involved in it either. Um, you know, the truth is somewhere in the middle and, and people are going to draw the conclusions they want to draw based on what they believe about different coaches and programs and assistants and, and shoe companies. All right. Well, good conversation. This is obviously something that will continue. We're not going to solve anything here tonight, but just wanted to, to kind of get that out there, talk about it a little bit and, when there is more that comes out, we will uh, be sure to talk about it here on the Assembly Call. I felt like we had an amazing conversation on all levels. Thank you, Archie. All right, coming up in our final segment, as we always do, we are going to answer more of your questions, uh, including what is Chronic's favorite IU memory and our prediction for what will cause the first overreaction of the season. This should be fun. That's next. Stick with us. listening to the assembly call we are wrapping up another week of talking iu basketball i'm jared morris here with andy bottoms and our special guest co-host this week chronic hoosier if you ever have a question for the show just send us a tweet at assembly call or better yet leave us a voicemail with your questions the voicemail line is 317-762-6253 that's 317 rob make you can leave a voicemail anytime and we can then play your voice asking your question here on the show we did not have any of those submitted this week so let's go to some of our written questions and Chronic, we have one specifically for you from our good friend at IU Artifacts. What is Chronic's favorite IUBB memory? Tijon accepted my friend request. <laughs> there you go. And I don't even need to talk anymore. Moving on to the next question. <laughs> no, you know, a close run up to that. I did shake Tijon's hand at a at an ATM here in town once. Um, that's pretty big on the list as well. I still haven't washed. Um <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I saw that question earlier today. I tried to think of a, a great, there's just so many of them, um, you know, the, the, probably the deepest or the realest, but it's kind of cheap too. every game I got to go to with my dad. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that uh, for the rest of my life, I will always remember the feeling. Uh, and that's what it really is. It's just that visceral feeling of driving over with them. Uh, the landmarks we passed, the places we'd go pregame, postgame walking into the hall with them, win or lose, it was always one of the best days ever. Um, probably a, a tie between, as far as personal experience, individual games. Uh, the watch shot was was just, it was out of this world. Um, the hall was like, I've never seen it. And we literally broke the gym, cracked the cinder block walls. Um, but I, I also wonder if that's not a recency factor. Uh, being in Bloomington for the Oklahoma game, uh, in 2002, uh, I got to watch it with my brother and a bunch of my close friends, my college friends as well. Uh, and then to go to Kirkwood afterwards. And, and the first time that you really, we saw it at the watch shot, but it was, it was a whole nother level to be on campus when, you know, there were students in the fountain and Kirkwood is completely shut down for a couple of blocks in all directions. And, and just to see Bloomington at its, its most hysterical. Um, it's again, it's one of those moments you'll, you'll carry with you for the rest of your life and remember like it was yesterday. Andy, what's your favorite IU memory? 
I know we've talked about this before, but boy, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I still remember, you know, smart hitting the shot in 87 and kind of jumping around with my, you know, my parents, you know, and, and that, I don't know, I guess I would, I guess I would say that all those, you know, certainly some of those memories with the, you know, the Cheney era teams would, would fall right up there. Um, you know, when they smoked UCLA to get to the final four that year, just for them to kind of get over that, that hump and get there. I, I remember that pretty well. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I, I don't know that I have one. Mine how, is, how can you pick one? I know. Well, yeah, it's, it's, but you know, it's one of those things, it's like chronic said, it's that feeling like to me, it's when Calvert broke the scoring record against Northwestern. Cause that was just like right in my sweet spot. And I felt like it was, it was just the culmination of his entire career. And like, just for a specific moment, like hearing all of assembly hall just go silent when that shot went up and then just erupting as the shot goes in, I will, I'll never forget that specific moment. Um, and just, and actually being there, you know, just, you know, kind of, helps it sink in but obviously the you know the 2002 run is kind of the the best like kind of sequence of events but single moment for me is calvert breaking the big 10 scoring record i will say definitively if you had to isolate one game that that was the pinnacle of my iu experience just indiana basketball as a whole um regional finals damon bailey's junior year pat graham senior year seymour bnl versus floyd central barney scott gymnasium and seymour um, it was as close to a moment like I was living in the movie Hoosiers <laughs> as I probably ever experienced in my life. It took us 15, 20 minutes to turn off of our road because of the stream of traffic coming from Bedford just to get to the gym. Um, capacity crowd. It's just greatest basketball game, greatest basketball experience ever. And even being at the watch shot, it, uh, it's still miles ahead of that. Hmm. That's awesome. Okay, let's go to Josiah's question. So once the games start, what will cause our first significant overreaction as fans this year? Andy, what do you think? First overreaction. I mean, hopefully no one overreacts anything against Chicago State because that is not going to yeah. be any type of competition. Yeah, I yeah, that that would be one. I feel like no one should react to that game at all. They're all these like 1 to 353 rankings. I think they're they are close to the bottom in every single one of them. So let's remember um, that since we will be hosting a post game show. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean that we, we won't overreact, but uh, of the <laughs> ones that I've captured, they were, is that a 353 teams, uh, 347, 347, 347, 344. So uh, consistently poor. Um, so I don't think it will come in that game. I, if I had to guess about an aspect of the game, I think people would overreact to like point guard play in general. I don't know whether it will be good or bad, uh, I kind of hope that it's good, um, but I think you could see people overreacting if Devontae struggles uh, and saying, all right, we need to turn to Finnessy, or if he plays really well, all of our problems are solved, everything is fine. I could see that really being the driver uh, a few games in of of this was the big question mark. Now we either have the answer or it's time to panic a little bit. Chronic, hmm. what do you think? What will cause the first overreaction? Um Romeo not averaging 20 points a game for the first you know month of the the season uh, as the offense kind of figures out what its rhythm is. Um, I can foresee a loss at Arkansas perhaps by close to double digits uh, because of oh. its its placement in the schedule. It's 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 that's a that's a tra- I don't want to call it a trap game necessarily, but it's certainly one where the degree of difficulty is perhaps uh, a little bit greater than what I think most people want to give it credit for. Um, True road game, decent team, that time of the season. Uh, just that potential to get a little squirrely on IU. Um, 
other than that, I I don't know. I mean, that's that's what Hoosiers do better than almost anybody in the country, save maybe Wildcats, is overreact. So uh, it's a Pandora's box that I can't wait to open. I'll be leading the charge. Yeah, I, w- I actually think whatever happens in the Marquette game will cause an overreaction because I think it's going to be such a charged atmosphere. It's the first big game. If we win it, you know, because Marquette is, you know, good, like a kind of consensus top 30 team, everybody's going to get real excited and you know, just be the optimism will go up even more. But if we lose it and it's a home game, then I think people will overreact to losing a game at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. So I think whatever happens that game, there's going to be some overreactions. I think that's reasonable. <laughs> Let me also add the first time that Romeo goes down uh, with a knock. Oh, boy. And he's yes. slow to get up. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same thing with Juwan. I mean, I think we all still kind of shudder anytime Juwan hits the deck just because of, you know, those first two years with the injuries. So anyway, someone knock on some wood or something. Um, okay, so let's get to – let's hit this one quick. We've got about a minute and a half left for this segment. So this is from Alex. He says, overall, what do you think will be the greatest asset to the team this year, Romeo or the improved depth? He said he could see it going both ways, which has the makings of a good debate. And you'll go to you with this first. What do you think would be the greatest asset to the team this year? Uh, I I would say Romeo. I mean, I'm you know based on what I brought up and the question we had earlier. I, I think the the depth is certainly a huge factor. But just to have a game changer like that. Um, think about what having a guy like him, even on last year's team, would have meant. If it means three or four more wins, you're you're probably in the NCAA tournament. So I, I think that to me is the the big one, and take some of the pressure off of Juwan, where he doesn't have to carry as much that you don't watch him go off the floor for 30 seconds and freak out that the game is going to get away from you. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think it's Romeo just because one guy can make such a big difference in basketball and the depth is great, but you still need kind of the superstar player to, you know, to put you over the top. Chronic, what do you think? I totally agree. I, I think all, all the points are spot on, pretty valid. Uh, I would also add that, you know, whenever you've got a kid that's rejecting the lottery, that's, that's an instant upcharge to your offense. Uh, to your team as a whole. But I think one of the greatest attributes to Romeo's addition to this roster is probably going to be the way in which he can create more space for other people to move um, in the offense uh, and and just open up a whole lot more, uh, just a number of elements that weren't present. Andy, we've got about 10 seconds left. Which stat do you think will see the most improvement this year, the three-point percentage or the free-throw percentage, and why? Uh, I'd say free-throw percentage. I think it'll be – I certainly hope both improve, but I'll say free-throw percentage. (laughs) Yeah, I think I agree with you. All righty, that is going to do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, Chat join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. Next Thursday is the first post-game show of the season. Get excited. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. This was the most ridiculous ordeal of my life. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. 
And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating. And so many of you have donated and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Rocket Pro Insight makes it easy for real estate agents to help clients strengthen their offers with a verified approval, giving you the power to adjust the approval letter amount. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate. Offer terms and details. Equal lender. License 50 states. NLS number 33. Verified approval. Only on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.